Hey, this is your host Shane with Radical Rocks. Today we've got an exciting episode with zoisite, emeralds, Iowa geodes, fossils, minerals, gold, and more. On the first part of the journey, I was looking at Radical Rocks. There were fossils, minerals, and rocks and things. There were sand, hills, and rings. First thing I found was a geocrystals, quartz with no clouds. Agate was hot and the ground was hard, but the gems were there to be found. See, I've been through the desert, found a rock with no name. Felt good to have in my hand. In the desert, you can find lots of rocks. Cause radical rocks are everywhere. That's right. Radical rocks are everywhere, and today we are going to talk about places just about everywhere. We'll talk about the world's largest flawless diamonds. We'll talk about uh, Nigeria, huge exporter of gemstones. We'll talk about the Mineral Ridge area in Cleveland, Zoisite, fossils in North Dakota, Texas, energy sources on the moon, emeralds, Iowa geodes, and uh, Lick Creek in Idaho, and even more. So I want to thank you guys for tuning in. I want to thank you for supporting our social media. Just look up Radical Rocks. We're on most um, most of the social media that's out there. Not all of it, but some of it. You know the program. Check it out. Check out our YouTube videos on YouTube. And thank you for joining the episode today. Let's get right into it. Without any further ado, I think we'll start off with a gold mining claim, perhaps. There's a lot of gold mines. This is the Castle Park Mine. The Castle Park is in a historical area which was mined for gold, silver, and base metals. Um, there's actually a mine for, sol- for sale, rather. Uh, on eBay. Most of the mines I see are in Idaho. This particular one's located in San Diego, California. You don't see too many going up on the auction block there. Uh, Well, no, it's not. It said it was here. Hmm. That must be the seller. Okay. Here it says Elko, Nevada, which is the northern uh, part of Nevada. Elko is a very big mining district. And mining companies are still active there today. The Castle Mine is located at the Lori Mining District, which covers the northern part of Tonopah Mountain Range. This is a famous area for beautiful turquoise, by the way. The Lori District was discovered in 1883. There were some promising samples that were found just south of the railroad tracks that went through there, probably railroad going to other mines. The mines that are in the area are the Shiverly, the Wilson, the Stokes, the Queen, and Castle Park. These are some of the biggest in the area. Back in the day, they uh, used old Model Ts and things like that to go up there. In fact, it says here, 1907, the remains of the mines were active all the way uh, from 1907 to 1958, and a lot of things that were up there, relics that are up there are frames, shaft timber, 
processing equipment, and even an old Model T that was used to hoist uh, as a hoist engine to hoist people up in and out of the mine. So they sometimes they would put these up on blocks and um, just actually put like a pulley on the tire and pull people up and down. That's that's uh, safety's come a long way since then. Another areas that are in there is a Long Canyon mine. Um, there is they purchased that mine back in 2011 for 1.2 billion dollars. Long Canyon was a traditional uh, Carlin type deposit, and the potential opened up areas in Nevada might find uh, might produce some 200 million ounces of gold, or has produced 200 million ounces of gold. Sorry, I just kind of added this in the last minute, so I didn't really get to go over it really good. Some kind of uh, ad-libbing a little bit more than usual. But the Castle Park Mine has several audits uh, and caves. It is a uh, hydrothermal type of a deposit with gold throughout. Rocks and formations and fractured limestone is all through this area. The zones are about up to four feet wide. And shears with jasper and calcite cementing the brocaded material together is also found. There in the area, you can also find malachite, azurite, chrysocolla, as well as rich carbonites and sulfites. They tell us Nevada is a great mining area and uh, known as the fifth largest gold producer in the world after Australia, Canada, China, and Russia. Nevada is the home to the Carlin Trend, the Cortez Trend, the Walker Lane Trend, the Getchell Trend, and many other very prolific gold-producing regions. And it also is a major producer of silver, copper, lithium, iron ore, magnesium, gemstones, and other minerals. Nevada is 85% owned by the federal government. I heard it was 70-something percent. And actually, the federal government can't own land. So I would say it is it is controlled by the government. It's not owned by the government. So there's claim staking available uh, in that area. If you wanted to go out there and look around and see something close to a gold mine or maybe find another little deposit or some placer downstream of this wonderful, profitable mining area, you might find a nice place to do some dry shaking or something like that. There's not a lot of water in the area, so you'd be pretty hard-pressed to find an area with water. So you could check that out. It's on eBay um, called the, uh, it might even be expired by now, but uh, I like looking at the history of these mines. Now in Ramona, this is one that I did not tell you about. In Ramona, this is an area in California, Southern California, I believe it's in Riverside County. A rock hound wants to help residents find gemstones on their their property. And at the Sandy, uh, San Diego Union Tribune.com. You can read about this. It's a really interesting story about this individual, Joe Kaha. He finds some unusual stones over at the Ramona Ranch Winery, and the owner of this winery is Michelle or Nicole Moore. And they found some stones on this. So what, what this person has done is they're a rock hounder and they know that a lot of areas 
There's collectibles in these Ramona Hills. Um, there's tourmaline. There's other stones that can be found there. Some of them are not very high quality, but they are good for collectibles. There's black, green, and uh, red tourmaline, or kind of a pink tourmaline. There's small crystals, garnets, epidate. Um, there's smoky quartz and other rocks to be found in Ramona. They claim that they don't have any monetary value, so, you know, oh, well, they probably do a little bit. I wouldn't say none, but they're uh, probably not high quality, but they make great collections, and this would be something you, if you're a mineral collector, you would definitely want something out of this area because there's no mines. This is private property. You can't, you can't just do a mine here, and it's great to have gemstones from all over. So this individual goes and talks to property owners and then um, people go are allowed to go on the property. Sometimes they'll even do weed whacking, things like that. They'll bring a carload of people and they will look for rocks. So what this one individual does says, I will scour your property and look for gemstones and rocks. If I find them, then, you know, I'll get you some. Um, of them as a collectible and then this would draw people in for collecting there's a beautiful specimen of a garnet crystal i think it looks really nice it's kind of a brown color but it's really cool uh crystal joe kahak i guess he is the one who gives us takes a small fee he works with local dealers and miners and they are able to go do these digs on these private properties. So I'm sure the owner gets to, you know, get a little bit. They take care of the property access, liability issues, and all those things. And he takes the small groups out there. They respect the property, and they're able to do a dig or even just look what's on the surface and find something interesting for your collection. They've got members here with some garnets in their hands and different things that they found in uh, in their hiking. So this is really a good idea. If you're interested in that, you can look that up or you can email uh, or go join the Facebook group. It's C-A-H-A-K. That's his name. It, and then there's also Ramona Rocks and Minerals. And then you can also email starsgalore at cox.net if you want to find out about collecting on these uh, private properties and being able to do that. That would be really fun. Now there's a 20-acre placer claim on Lick Creek, it's L-I-C-K, in Idaho in Valley Country. And this is uh, a pretty cool area. There's a lot of claims up in this area, the North Fork, Gold Fork River in the McCall District. There is gold been found there for a long time. It was in about 1917. This became one of the newest counties in the state, and gold production uh, had taken place there. There's a lot of articles saying that it happened through about 1917 to 1942. They found in the Boise County and Valley County 96,578 ounces of gold. Total gold production from 1917 to 1958 was 324,460 ounces, most of which was mined from load deposits 
of uh, gold ore in the late 1940s. Gold districts in the northeast part of the country in a triangular shape with Edwardsburg at the apex and the Yellow Pine and Thunder Mountain districts at the southwest and southeast corners respectively. Each side of the triangle is about 15 miles long. Edwardsburg, however, had the only minor gold production and um, is, is not, not going to be um, commented on. But they have a claim here that they're selling, and um, it is in Valley uh, County, and you can see the maps and the pictures, and it's on uh, eBay. It looks like it's still actually listed right now if you wanted to check it out. So it's kind of cool, that gold area there. There may be areas open in that area where you can pan. If you're in that area, you might want to do some more research and check that out. So, Texas. Everything's bigger in Texas, right? Well, it seems that the findings of some elephants that were originally discovered in 1978 in a dairy farm just northwest of Waco, they found a leg bone of a what they call a Colombian mammoth. Well, now, after digging more, they found that some of these babies were 14 feet high at the shoulder, taller than today's African elephants of 13 feet, and um, bigger than the woolly mammoth cousins, which were a much smaller 10 feet. They dug up this skull, and when they dug it up, they thought it was a human at first as it was rounded, but then, of course, they unearthed it and found out it was huge, ginormous. If you want to find out about this, you can go to statesman.com and read all about this uh, digging. It actually was an old, they thought it was an old Indian burial ground, which I wouldn't be digging in that, but I guess back in 1978, people would do that. You wouldn't want to do that now. You'd probably find yourself uh, uh, famous in a real bad way. So don't do that. But Michael Barnes tells us all the details here about Waco, Texas, and these giant giant elephants, which are calling Colombian elephants, and they found a whole pack of them there together, uh, including what they thought was nursing, nursing young with him. The reason they give for all of these being uh, buried together and dying, they feel that it probably happened quite quickly and by flood by the looks of the geology, but then they say, well, you know, it could have been a drought. Well, you know, it could have been this, could have been that. So they come up with uh, several scenarios, and basically they really don't know. They're just speculating. Um, this area is protected. There's a trail there where you can go on it. There's a total of 26 Colombian mammoths that have been uncovered, including 16, as many as 19, according to another source, from this nursing herd of females and juveniles that have been found. The experts, again, they're not knowing why they were all there and why they all died at once, but uh, they go into some of those scenarios. You can read more about this article if you want, and uh, just go to statesman.com and look up one of the most amazing sites in Texas is in Waco, and it is thousands of years old by Michael Barnes, and you can get that information. Let's see, where are we? The world's largest flawless diamond 
It sparkles at Sotheby's in Dubai. There's been a lot of really neat diamond news lately. Beautiful pink ones, yellow ones, um, all this good stuff. At Alarabaya.net, it's A-L-A-R-A-B-I-Y-A dot net. They've got a picture of it here. And Jennifer Bell is showing this beautiful diamond. She's holding it in her hand. I'd be terrified to hold it. This is the world's largest flawless diamond. It is cut. It is valued at $15 million. It's going on display at Sotheby's in Dubai. It is a golden canary pear-shaped yellow diamond. It weighs 303.10 carats. And it is the largest flawless diamond in the world, according to the Gemological Institute of America. It has been on a world tour and um, they will sell it eventually. The reverse, the reserve price uh, will be met and uh, we'll see what the high price goes for. This could be a really amazing gemstone that sells for a high dollar amount. Nigeria exports some three billion dollars in gems according to the Guardian dot ng and this is by Ernest Nazor Abaju and he tells us that uh, Nigeria is quite the mining mecca now as you can imagine Nigeria is a poor area but yet all this money in stones and gemstones is being poured out of this country there's sapphires aquamarine beryl emerald tourmaline Ruby, garnet, amethyst, and, and zircon, um, zircon, excuse me, zircon, and other semi-precious gemstones going out of the country. A lot of it illegally exported in raw forms. Now they're trying to find a way to capitalize on this, and that seems fair. Um, they want to teach their people how to make jewelry and make finished jewelry because of the markup from rough stones to actual jewelry stones and gemstones. And um, so they want, they're looking at getting equipment and doing all this. And that sounds like a good idea. I mean, that could really help out the local people, I would think. So let's hope that uh, if that happens, it benefits the people who really need it the most. How many dinosaurs and dinosaur fossils are there in North Dakota? There's a lot. Um, the articles are credited by Stacker at KN, excuse me, KXNET.com. And it tells us here in North Dakota, this place has been a real mecca for fossils. Now they tell us kind of about the history of dinosaur fossils, the T-Rex that fetched 31 million at an auction in 2020. Um, they tell us about all these other gym uh, other fossils that pull in a big amount of money. But by the numbers, North Dakota has a recorded amount of fossils of 240 fossils, um, then 70 uh, ceratopside fossils, and then another 240 uh, fossils from the time period of that time. North Dakota has unearthed Trianosauruses, Triceratops, dozens of other fossils found throughout the state. North Dakota's geological survey hosts digs at least eight of them that you could uh, get qualified on some of these and actually go along for the dig. You can't take anything home. There's five states, 
Kentucky, New Hampshire, Rhode Island, Vermont, and uh, Wisconsin that basically have no dinosaur fossils. And, of course, they probably have sea creatures and things like that. But we're talking about the big dinosaurs um, registered by PBDB, which is the organization that is keeping track of all these dinosaurs. Um, These states are mostly below sea level. Kentucky, New Hampshire, Rhode Island, Vermont, and Wisconsin at the time of the the dinosaurs and that's why there's sea sea creatures that are you know fossilized but so they don't have a lot of land dwelling um, dinosaurs that are found there glacial glacial erosion also contributed to the lack of bones scrubbing the surface of that area they say so one or the other or both along with the prominent time period the most fossils provided for each uh, slide dinosaur includes Stegosaurus, Trianosaurus, Diplocodus, and nearly 300 other valid dinosaurs in general. States that have the most dinosaurs found California, 1,988 recorded in this. Wyoming, 1,118, Montana, 940, New Mexico, 935, Florida, 895. So all of this uh, fossils all over uh, the north, mostly northwest part of the United States, somewhat the California goes south too. So a lot of fossils in these areas. Um, we talked about Waco already. Mineral Ridge. This is an area near Cleveland um, and where they discovered in 1854, 1853, they were plowing. It was in the cities of Niles, Youngstown, uh, Youngstown and Cleveland's development industry of Mineral Ridge was developed. They, right next door... Uh, to Mineral Ridge, they were plowing in the field and they looked at some of these minerals and sent them in and they found coal. Then they looked at some other minerals and they found black band ore, which is what produces pig iron, which was used in local mills and um, shipped by canal and later to railroad to Cleveland to be processed. Uh, Youngtown, which had furnaces, produced pig iron, and had one mill, and it just started to boom. This black band ore was very, very good for making iron, which really helped build the um, uh, the whole mechanized, you know, all the metal equipment and boilers came about and machinery. Everything started to become mechanized. The great industrial age had opened a lot of it um, due to the great ingenuity that came to this country uh, from other people leaving their own countries to come here to to uh, expound on their creativity and from people that are here. So about 1855, this was uh, a great time. There was cheap coal and all this pig iron. So you had everything you needed right there to process this. And this iron started to ship all over. It's, the first shipment was in 1856. It went from Cleveland on the railroad to Niles. Um, 
the farm that where this coal discovery was was Michael's Oles farm. That had been discovered in 1833, and that just led one thing into another into another. So coal mining, iron, fire clay, all these things were coming about. It just became a really wonderful uh, industrialized time. You know, of course, some of those mines were very dangerous. There's a real dark side to this too. Um, a lot of people got the black lung from breathing that. But uh, this is what really made uh, America rise up from um, uh, almost nothing to, to being the richest nation in the world with the highest quality of life. Um, we used to have a really high, high uh, health rate and very, very healthy young people and a very, very low death rate for uh, babies and, and pregnant mothers and young people. I don't know if that holds true. I've, I've heard some news here and there that we may be slipping. Also, we had uh, you know some of the brightest minds because of this wealth. It led to having more time for higher education. So many, many bright minds were coming out. Of course, now we know that uh, our, our educational standards are slipping and our students are suffering. So certainly got some work to do on that. Now, next, slab saw market research. So there is a market for saws to cut slabs. If you don't know what a slab is, then you don't know about lapidary. But if you're a rock hound, probably you have an idea about lapidary. So if you're just a mineral collector or you're just interested in rocks and minerals and new, slabs are what we do. We, we go find the rocks and we cut them into slabs and that way we can take those slabs, which are usually about 3 sixteenths to a quarter inch thick, sometimes a little thicker, depending on what you're making, and we draw shapes. After we cut those slabs, it's like slicing bread, right? You get a rock and you slice it up into mini slices. You take one of those slices and then you draw a shape on it or you scratch a shape into it. A cabochon could be an oval, a heart, a circle, a square, any shape you want. Usually glue it to a stick by using uh, a heat epoxy or dopping, uh, a dopping compound that we call it. Or you could even use uh, super glue. And you can glue that to a stick or a, a something where you can hold it and then work it on a grindstone and make a dome because the light will shine better on a smooth, round, polished surface. It brings out the beauty of the stone should it be of high enough quality. And... Um, so slabs are a big thing for people who are lapidary, uh, lapidarius, or into the lapidary arts. And uh, if you're a rock hound, that's probably where you're destined to be. Join a local rock hunting club or a mineralogical society or a rock hound group and get some rocks. Usually, or often, they have equipment. And then you can find out about these lapidary slabbing saws. Now, according to this article, it's uh, I-H-U Eagle I, or E-G-L-E, let me just spell it out. I, I have no idea what this says. It looks like L-H-U-E-A-G-L-E-Y-E.com. It says, Slab Saw Market Research with Highland Park Lapidary, The Rock Sled, Skill, MK Diamond, Jingling, Size, Presence, and Future by Roger Smith. And all it says is that these lapidary equipment is quite popular. It does seem to be growing in 
in, uh, in the market. Now, this sounds like a puny amount of money. It says the slab saw market is estimated in the U.S. to reach a healthy million dollars in 2022 and projected to grow steadily and rise um, it, all the way to 2029 based on the current estimates. So only thing this is saying is that, you know, in the past, there has not been a lot of interest in lapidary. It's really been dying out um, for quite a few years. It was very popular in the 50s, 60s, and 70s. It started to die out in the 80s. It was totally dead in the 90s. Um, and toward the end of the 90s and the early 2000s, we've got some people that are interested in rocks for metaphysics or different things like that that have joined our community and they are welcome they are very welcome to be part of our community and um, be able to take their rocks and gems that they choose and make them into something even more beautiful um, these individuals love just as much as the cowboy type uh, and the farmer type and the you know the the retired type that go out and collect these gemstones the young people people of all ages nationalities it doesn't matter. We all were babies and played in the dirt. We all were little kids and loved rocks and fossils for the most part. We all have this natural affinity to earth and minerals and rocks and gemstones. So we can all have a good time with that. So yeah, it seems like it's picking up by the looks of this. Moon missions, three of them approved by China. Why? Well, BestGamingPro.com tells us that there is a mineral that they discovered quite a while ago on the moon. It is a new crystal-like mineral, and we've talked about it before, but it is called the Helium-3. This thing is a juggernaut of energy potential for nuclear fission energy, or nuclear fusion energy, as it's called in the article. Um, this would be something that uh, they are looking very seriously into. They found it first in 2014, the helium-3. They've researched it. They found out the potential of this, and they want to go back. They are looking at this as a serious energy-producing material. So that is interesting. The article seems to be accredited by Catherine A. Leal. So you could check that out if you want. The moon could be our energy source. Who knows? All right, emeralds. We talked about emeralds. We're also going to talk about zoisite. So hang in there. We got some pretty exciting information on that. Emeralds. This is a really cool article on emeralds. I am not going to go over it all. A lot of the stuff we've talked about many, many times. So I don't like to uh, be too repetitious on stuff if I can help it. But this article at ancient-origins.net tells us all about emeralds. The bloody legacy of emeralds, the gemstone of lovers. And um, they have a beautiful picture of a specimen of emerald. It's crystals all over. Of course, it's from Colombia, but there's a lot of other areas. They talk about Cleopatra. We've talked about that many times. She uh, adored emeralds. Perhaps uh, she had emerald mines and uh, those ran out. So the Romans looked for more emerald mines than we know 
Eventually, the Spaniards found out about the emeralds in, uh, in uh, South America. There was a goddess called Eumenia who they used to have this feast where they would worship the goddess with the emerald. This emerald was thought to be a god. It was a huge emerald. They had to hold it up with two hands. It was big as an ostrich egg, apparently. And when the Spanish found out about that, they had to get it. There's theories that it was smashed into a million pieces. Um, we do not know exactly what happened to it, but it was never found. Many, many other emeralds were, were uh, um, taken, and the Spanish took a lot of them back to Spain. So a lot of them are in different crowns that you can find. Um, the bloody emeralds of the modern world. Unfortunately, today, uh, just as much as back then when the Romans were killing people to take the mines and exploit them, uh, today is the same thing. A lot of bloodshed. When you go into Colombia, it's not just the cocaine trade that uh, gangsters are interested in. They are interested in anything where there is money. They're very involved in the trade of gemstones. In Africa, also violence and human rights issues have been associated with the emeralds found in Zambia, the world's second largest emerald producer. And uh, that has made headlines many, many times. And uh, you can read about that if you want. It is a pretty cool article. You can find out more about the history and all that good stuff. Next. Eight ultra-rare blue diamonds could fetch over $70 million at auction. Dana Givens tells us at Yahoo.com under the title of that article. And there's a picture of these beauties. They are stunning. Beautiful blue diamonds. So rare. They will be going through the De Beers group. Uh, it's called the Blue Collection. South Africa's most renowned Cullinan mine. These are impressive given that blue is the rarest color to find in the diamond. And what makes these eight significance is their brilliant hue and color distribution make them particularly rare. Four of the eight stones were graded by the Gemological Institute of America as Fancy Vivid, the highest rating for colored gemstones. They vary in size and weight, ranging from 1.2 carat oval shape to an 11.29 carat step cut. Together, they weigh more than 32 carats. The collection is valued at over $70 million. You can read more about this. Um, that will be going up to auction pretty soon. And um, yeah, wow, what a massive collection that would be. Check that out. Looks like they originally took the article from Rob's report. Next, Lapidary Club, the Saks and Fox Lapidary Club to hold Rocktoberfest show on October 22nd through 23rd. This is in the Southeast Iowa Union uh, article at southeastunion.com. Um, you can read it. It's by Andy Haleman. But what I liked about this, um, not, not that they're having a, a lapidary club and Rocktoberfest gym show on October 22nd and 23rd. That's cool. But what I thought was cool is they have geodes that they have uh, collected and they have rocks and 
you can go find out about him. Now, he is posing with some of these. One of them has like a, looks like an egg that's cracked open with an ele- a yellow yolk of sorts. This will be held at the Fairfield Arts Convention Center and Creative Edge uh, by the fairground, fairgrounds there at the uh, Mastam's Barns, it says, and Field, Field, Fairfield Arts. So the geodes that they got here, it says, the gentleman here, his name is Kosell. Kosell said some gem, uh, geodes are hollow and others are not. Some areas are known for producing hollow geodes. For instance, the area around New London rich with geodes, about half are hollow. So New London in that area of Iowa, I guess, and such. He says uh, the I. He says with diamonds, uh, impurities often devalue, but with geodes, impurities often add to their beauty, giving them bright color. Without impurity, they might be colorless. So iron can cause things to change color. He talks about this. He found some geodes at a recent dig after hitting the Warsaw Formation. Kosal said it came to him as a surprise and the other members of the group that the Warsaw Formation extended into Jefferson County. Company allowed Sachs and Fox Lapidary Company Club, Sachs and Fox, it's SAC, Sack and Fox Lapidary Club to visit the site and look for rocks. So might pay to get involved with this lapidary club if you want to find out about these rocks. It says, make friends with someone who knows where all the geode places are. Koso joked, in our club, we try to get three or four field trips per year. We've gone to Missouri and Arkansas before. Um, so you can contact Andy Hellman at 641-575-0135 or email him at andy.hallman at southeastunion.com if you want to know more about this. Next, ancient and bizarre crab. Um, We've talked about this before. It looks like a shrimp, but it has like these two pinchers at the front. And um, this crab that they found in China has all these little arms, which look like swimming fins, that are full of blades and eyeballs. So, a very interesting creature. If you want to find out about this, go to lifescience.com, and you can read a little bit about this. Um, There is uh, quite a bit. They've got pictures of the fossils, illustration of what it looks like, and uh, the senior writer is Mindy Wellsberger, if you want to find out more about this interesting marine uh, anthropod that uh, has been dug up in this area. Next, our final discussion of the day, zoisite, a massive mineral marked by holiday color and appeal. This is from our friends at Rock and Jim. Now, it is getting close to Christmas, and I love... Uh, Red and green together. There's a watermelon tourmaline, which is quite beautiful. This has a, the green skin and the red inside. Also, you can find a a thulite, which is in Lavic, California, north of that. If you hook up with uh, any one of the gym and mineral clubs, you might be able to go collect there. This area was open the last time I was there. This is a green stone with uh, red 
throughout. It can take a decent polish if you find a good piece. Very easy to cut and polish. Um, Christmas tree or Christmas zoi uh, thulite. Now this green zoisite, this is going to be a lot harder. Uh, it is it also makes a lovely Christmas gem. Uh, it can be speckled. It can be, uh, like I said, like a ruby, hard as ruby. The red is typically ruby, and the green is the, uh, the zoisite, right? So Bob Jones is the one who tells us about this at Rock and Gym. They, they send me emails, and they have a website that you can go to, rock, the letter N, gym.com. You can find out all kinds of really cool information. He says, discovering zoisite about it, he says it is a massive green mineral with a crystalline zoisite, which is slightly sugary looking. Locked in the green stone were hexagonal deep red crystals of ruby, which contrasted with the green host rock. Ruby crystals varied in size and were opaque to translucent in perfect hexagonal form. Well, he was looking at some really high-quality zoisite, I can tell you that, because a lot of it is not crystal hardly at all, except for the red. You'll see crystals in that, and the green is really not. But this stuff that he talks about, he goes into some more detail and says, the ruby crystalline terminations were as much as four inches across. Some larger pieces exposed termination of the ruby was slightly translucent, so when domed and polished, the stone showed lovely cationic, which is like a cat's eye shimmer. And uh, he said there was no freestanding ruby crystals, but the lovely combination of red ruby and green zoisite in a single rock was attractive to any lapidary artist. And the red-green combination is ideal for Christmas theme. The third mineral in the red-green rock is small black spots, which is common in the zoisite that I've seen for sale. And um, that can be scattered throughout the green zoisite in a stark contrast to the red and green colors. The black mineral initially was thought to be hornblende, but now they're saying that, uh, you know, uh, it could be something else. Uh, it, they look, can look somewhat dendric uh, at times or just be speckles. It depends um, what kind of specimen you have. But... Let's see, let's see. So he found all of this. Um, a sharp, very glassy, completely transparent gem crystal of the rare green-colored zoisite gem. If you find it like that, I mean, it looks like like a green, a light green beryl. Um, not emerald, not a dark green emerald, but like a more of a light green beryl. It is beautiful. I have not seen anything of that quality at, at any shows or anything like that. I'm sure there must be, but I've only seen the gritty zoisite with the speckles of rubies throughout it. That's the only thing I've ever seen. And even that is getting hard to find anymore. It used to be quite plentiful 20 years ago, but not so much anymore. 1954, the discovery of the combination was uh, marketed. It credits to uh, Belevin's and uh, a tribe that discovered this deposit, they called it Anoil, which means green stone. And every, uh, some 70 years after the discovery, the ruby zoisite deposit is still the only major source for this lovely carving material. Kenya has produced some, but in limited amounts. 
So it's not like you find it everywhere. Uh, other African countries where they find it uh, during the 19th century, of course, Europeans took over the mining back then. They took over the Zoisite area as well. Then the Germans took control of it um, in German East Africa. And then during their defeat during World War I, British took control back. And um, now the region is uh, placed in the United Nations trusts. And in 64, these people, I guess, got to rule themselves. And today, the primary Zoisite ruby source is United Republic of Tanganyika, if I'm saying that right. Uh, this is in Africa. A unique presentation. So uh, Bob Jones tells us that while doing the research for the article, he found some interesting information about zoisite. Um, he says it is a mineral and a popular Japanese cartoon adventure which was launched in the 90s. Zoisite was the name of a cartoon character and uh, other characters with mineral names. Uh, Sailor Moon, which is also a zoisite heroine's name, according to what he tells us here. Beautiful view of a specimen of tanzanite uh, is displayed here, which I guess is in a zoisite area. It says, um, tells us more about this cartoon. I don't really want to read about that. Other mineral names like hematite and silver crystal crop up as characters. We're still talking about those characters. The history of appeal. Um, new Jim Tanzanite. They go into another article about Tanzanite. I don't see how it is related to the zoisite at all, except for it is a type of uh, zoisite, um, but not a green and, and red, not a green and red zoisite. So uh, they talk about thulite being found in Austria, uh, small crystals, and uh, translucent pink, and with some red, I guess, and also some stuff found in Norway. And at the Isle of Lone and Stories, pink thulite is popular material for a cabajon. I just talked about finding that up by Lavik at the beginning of this story. That is in California, uh, very near the, um, oh gosh, let's see, there's Lavik. There's, um, what is the name of that town out there? It's off the Highway 40, I think. Uh, the Caddy Mountains. The Candy Caddy Mountains, you can find it out there. So you can read more about this article if you want. Um, but I think that this zoisite is really something special. With the holidays coming up, it would be fun to carve something up for your friends or family. Do some uh, cabajoning and give them a mineral from something that you've collected or found or just from your own handiwork, even if you had to just buy the slab on eBay and do it. So with that, guys, I'm going to... I'm going to close this episode and thank you all for tuning in. Until next time, remember rock hounds don't die, they petrify.